Obviously, the the topic of the day is uh, the Capitol Hill riot and all of that sort of thing. Oh, is <laughs> quite a bit to unpack within yeah. that topic. Everything yeah, exactly. from crazy right wing right wing responses to almost equally crazy stuff coming from the far left. Okay, yeah, let's let's start with that. What is it from the far left that you're seeing? I, I don't think I have seen any very noticeable. Well, I mean, basically, I responded to it in the Against Unreason group the other day, that comment thread that we were talking in, that pretty, probably within hours of finding out that the crowd had had breached Capitol Hill and gotten into the Congress building, but before hardly any actual concrete data had come out, the, a lot of the people on the far left were already trying to turn this into yet another example of white privilege, yet another example of how whites get treated with the kid gloves and how, you know, basically trying to make an apples to oranges comparison with the National Guard that were in D.C. to supposedly protect from the riots of the summer. And in the time since the actual Capitol Hill, you know, riot, we've learned that, in fact, a lot of similar stuff did happen to the crazy MAGA people that also had happened to rioters or and or protesters during the summer in that a crazy MAGA white lady was shot and killed. There were people okay. getting okay. gassed. Okay. There was stuff like that happening. Okay, yes. It's not that absolutely nobody was shot, but their point was that they were able to get so far in they got shot. Whereas when you when you look at the um, the the National Guard, that wasn't the Capitol building. Actually, that was Lincoln Memorial. Different situation. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. Different situation. But the National Guard was clear. Nobody breached this, and they didn't have to. They didn't have to say we're gonna we're gonna shoot you because if you come close to us, everybody knew that. That's the difference between people who aren't afraid to push against cops, put force themselves in, and people that see a gun and say back off we hate it but we'll back off right so a couple of differences that i would point out between the again let's just i'm referring to a meme that was going around on january 6th where it was that picture of the national guards people at the lincoln memorial or whatever and so mm -hmm. when those national guardsmen were called in to dc to you know supposedly defend against rioters and whatnot that was after multiple riots had already been going on and i can't remember the exact timeline but it may have been a week or multiple weeks okay, yeah that, that's that's fair yeah, that that's, they had they saw this stuff coming whereas the only the only uh hint that you would have had that this was coming as far as the capitol hill riot now was a select group of insane people on the right wing alternative to Twitter parlay. And so there wasn't a whole series of riots and they couldn't have predicted with equal certainty okay. or likelihood that point. that was going to happen. Okay. That's a fair point. Now you may still be wrong insofar as there's probably, there's more information coming out that um, the intelligence community had some warning that there might've been people people planning to attack the capital but that's a whole different story let's right. just, and it's let's entirely possible for the, yeah let's take for the premise that you're right um there were no series of riots leading up to this it's partially true at least in terms of you know in every city what we did have though is the week before you know we had proud boys getting into fights with people we had enrique arrested and now th that's f far more minor compared to blm rights i will still mm -hmm. give you that now, Although that is, that kind of struck, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to mention the fact that Enrique, I assuming you're talking about the leader of Proud Boys. I can't remember them all by name. Um, yeah, yeah, Enrique, Enrique That, that yeah. shows that again another example of them not handling these crazy MAGA people with kid gloves necessarily, or letting them off scot free at the very least. And again, I'm not exactly. trying to say that there may not be some measurable level of them being somewhat nicer to the MAGA people or some. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not precluding that from the possibility. I'm just pointing out that the difference 
doesn't appear to be anywhere near as extreme as is often implied strongly I'll, I'll, I'll by these far-left yeah. demagogues on Twitter and on Facebook. Yeah, I, 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 will, I will agree with that. And I think, you know, as much as I will agree that, um, you know, the comparison wasn't entirely fair, um, this is not to excuse them. But where do you think they learned it from? Where do I think who learned what from? Uh, where do you think these bad left memers learned this bad left meaning from? Um, I mean, to some degree, demagoguery comes pretty natural to almost every leader of a crazy moment movement throughout history. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Fair. Yeah. But, um, I don't think the Trump people had to teach it to them. Uh, Although the Trump people or Trump himself may have offered a very prominent example of how to demagogue in the modern times, particularly recent years. If that's what yeah. you're okay. getting at. Yeah, uh, fair, fair. Yeah, exactly. And to get back to your point about, okay, if there were a series of riots, I think you could actually take that point home, which is now that we've had one, just one at the Capitol building, we have thousands of National Guard sleeping inside. Right. Yeah. And so that, that kind of goes to show, you know, if and when there is a hint of um, high possibility of a violent attack, yes, National Guard still does stand up, and that's a good thing. But Absolutely. Um, I think maybe the, the white privilege point was less about when is the p- police proper response of I, – I don't know how to say this without uh, – because, yeah, it's, it's hard to say you know the, the very first riot. I think probably the leftists will say this, which is even at the very first riot, even if you didn't say you know uh, Lincoln Memorial, even during the first riot for, for George Floyd – the first riot, first protest, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, unless you were fast enough to strike before before the police were ready, I, th- I think that would be the, the only comparison. But as soon as a riot broke out, as soon as there was a sign of unrest, every peaceful protester, not rioter, make a difference, mm-hmm. every peaceful protester understands, don't get near the cops. They're dangerous. You're going to get right. shot. And when you get shot, nobody nobody cares who's right or wrong. Right. That is a priv- that is a privilege that um that that white people don't have to worry about or not as much because when you see all these armed armed protests whether peaceful or not they um they never they never never have to worry about confronting police if they wanted to. Granted half the time they're they're bootlickers so they, so they don't confront the police. But I, I mean I, I don't know if that's necessarily true that they don't have to worry. Um, because obviously, again, this current Capitol Hill riot proved that indeed white people rioting do get shot and guessed and tracked down by the FBI afterwards for prosecution. So it does happen. But I, I understand what you're trying to get at in the sense that there is the possibility and even likelihood that to some degree, white people do feel more confident that it's not going to yes happen. exactly yes that's 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 what i was getting at yeah yeah it is less about whether police are nice to them it's more about they know that whether it's their crowd or their flag or their gun they have an environment that gives them some confidence whether justified or not to demand things like give me the election that i think i want versus uh black lives matter people demanding please don't shoot us right I completely agree. I think that on average, there is a trend where cops feel more at ease and more comfortable around right wingers and MAGA people and all these people with the or blue God lives forbid, matter. More afraid. Or I mean, the the blue lives matter uh, flags for obvious reasons. But um, I think that that gets at my point that I've made online that. It seems more about tribe rather than skin color or race in those situations, because if the police were stare, let's just control for color. Let's say an entire crowd of black individuals, one of the or two crowds, one of these crowds has a whole bunch of people with MAGA hats on and Trump 2020 banners. And the other one has, you know, whatever stereotypical things you could think of from Antifa or BLM or something like that the cops are still going to feel much more comfortable with the MAGA crowd. And you Absolutely. can do the same thought experiment with two white crowds. 
if there totally. is a mm-hmm. two white crowds that look like one of them's a bunch of MAGA supporters and one of them is a bunch of Antifa or BLM or whatever you, you know, what have you, they're going to feel significantly more comfortable with the Absolutely. other, yeah. with the MAGA mm-hmm. people. And I think if you're like, let's think statistically as far as actual numbers, when we're talking about regression coefficients or a correlation, there would be a much stronger effect size for tribe, for political tribe than there would oh, totally. for race. I, I completely agree. And I, and I, and I do think, um, if you were to just dissect the original claim and say that it was poorly worded and switch the words out and say, okay, this is maybe not white privilege versus, versus a lack of white privilege and colored people. It's think of it as if this is the privilege between pro Trump fascists and leftists. I think the privilege and benefit of doubt from police is much more clear and easier right. to, to argue. And yeah, I, I totally agree. Like you can see if, if a black person were um, in that MAGA crowd, nobody, nobody would care as long as he's, you know, on their side, waving the same flags and fighting, fighting along, right. along their side. Now, if, if a white person was in the BLM crowd, again, he would be welcome as long as you don't wear a Camp Auschwitz t-shirt. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's the difference. And with that, I'd even point out that from the sheer ethnic makeup of America, there were probably more white people in the BLM crowds than there were black people by yes. the simple fact that, that, that African Americans only make up something like 11% of the United States populace, whereas white people are, I think, around 67%. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. But anyway, that, or are you finished with what you're saying or? Yeah. Okay. So that kind of, for me, led into the other topic of, the utility of the word white privilege in the first place. Because again, I've kind of talked about this online that I understand what the term white privilege is. And I agree with what people in theory are meaning by it in the mm-hmm. sense that on average, white people do not have a lot of the barriers that black people on average have to overcome. And so that is a privilege. But when discussing with people who use the term white privilege a lot, they rarely actually use it in a good faith attempt to get you to examine the ways in which you haven't had to overcome barriers and the ways in which African-Americans have had to overcome barriers. They almost always use it to browbeat you into submission. They almost always use it as an ad hominem attack to basically say, you're evil, you're bad. I don't have to consider what you're saying because I'm able to just dismiss any validity to your argument simply by saying that you're suffering from white privilege. And so okay, I don't I, think I think I I think I know what you're saying and I think I've heard very similar arguments to that. So um I'll let you finish then I'll address it. Oh okay. Well, and so one of the things I'd point out is the the writer David Frum who is a never trumper from previously on the Republican Party, who wrote a book mentioning how basically saying the phrase saying that white people have fewer barriers to overcome than black people do is the functional equivalent of saying that white people have white privilege, right? Definitionally, they're basically saying the same thing. Um, if you ignore nuance and context, yes, that's, that's, that's what it would sound like, yes. I don't think that's ignoring terribly large amounts of nuance or context, but in any way, let's just go with the general point is that white people don't have to overcome these barriers. Whenever you poll people and you ask them whether they have, whether they are enjoying white privilege, there's a much lower positive response rate than there are from if you ask people if they think that white people on average don't have to overcome many of the barriers throughout life that black individuals do. And so when you, when you frame it from an accusatory way, rather than, rather than just a kind of explanatory or compassion based perspective, a lot more people will agree. And many. Yes. But whether you agree. Yeah. But whether you agree doesn't make it true or untrue. I'm not sure what your point would be. As I was saying, my point is that my point is I don't care if I say it nicely or rudely. I don't care if you like it or not. What's true is true, isn't it? Absolutely. But that's not what I'm arguing here. 
Okay. My my point here is if you're actually trying to make progress and convince people to stop being racist and to acknowledge these problems, you don't approach the situation from an accusatory, hateful, tribal way. You approach it from from trying to empathize and find collective goals. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what I think, you know, last time we talked, and that's what I think um Floyd and Chauvin really got us this last year, which is for most of Trump's three and a half years, people kind of dismissed Black Lives Matter as, well, what about what about black on black crime? What about white lives and all and all that bullshit? Right, uh, those are George all hardcore right winger arguments. But but, but you, you got a lot of people in the middle fooled too. So yeah. um exactly because because exactly if you don't word it in a compassionate, considerate way and you, you sound like you're always accusing somebody, yeah, nobody's gonna listen. I get that. Now, when Floyd was killed and people were at home on their Instagrams and Facebooks and Twitters, they see their friends feeding them bit by bit, telling them, please do nothing else. Just listen to me for a few minutes, read this slide. And then this slide, I beg you, just try to listen. And if you still disagree, fine. I just want your borrow your ear for a few minutes. That is when people slowly digested what system systemic oppression means. They, people started to understand that. People can be complete innocent players in a system that they don't understand is biased, and the result would still be biased because people were following just the rules that were not even were maybe not even were intended as being biased or oppressed. But the system is, in the end, um, skewed towards people of privilege. And right. my point is, George Floyd's death really gave people the time to look at this again, and now people. More people have a better understanding of what systemic racism and privilege mean. And to um, get back to what you were saying earlier, you, you're right. You know, I remember the, fir- the first few months that I was telling people about privilege. People, people were, you know, ganging up on me, saying, "Why do, you, why do you have to be so mean to me?" And 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 I just sit back and laugh. And I said, "Well, look at you. Look at how quickly you are at being offended." And he says, yeah, because I've been through this and this. I said, I didn't say you didn't. And so it, 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 it came to, you know, just yelling back and forth. And I realized, okay, I can't tell if this person just doesn't want to listen or I'm not giving him enough time to think about it. Is it really my problem or his? And right. uh, after a long time and taking into account what you just said, I think back at another example, which is one of my friends, he, um, he's a white gay guy who loves Trump or at least doesn't hate Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he would always um, point out the flaws or, or exceptions to identity politics. And he would always say, you know, identity politics is so stupid because it's so stereotypical and whatever. And I didn't know how to disagree with him, but now I know how to actually um, present the argument so that either he can't disagree or if he has to disagree, he has to be a little more specific. And that is, Identity politics, just like white privilege, is poorly understood. When we say identity right. politics, or, or poorly defined or inter- as well. Yeah, when we say identity politics or intersectionalism, we are not saying if you're black you must vote this way, or if you're black you must vote for a black person, or if you're gay you have to believe in this policy. What we're saying is, if you are somebody who lived through your experience being black or being gay, and if you have ever been a victim as a result of your identity, whether your own identification or external perception, shouldn't you have more experience than people who did not? And shouldn't that inform you to be more empathetic to people who've been in your shoes versus people who have not? Right. And if that is the case, should it not be a reasonable expectation for me to think that you should vote on the side of compassion? That's what we mean by identity politics. It's not because you're born one skin color or one gender, therefore you must vote one way. It's think of what you've been through and think of people who are in your shoes and not in your shoes been through. And if you had to um, randomly pick your fate tomorrow or put on a veil of ignorance, what would be the system that would be equitable to somebody in your shoes and somebody not in your shoes and somebody less off less better off than you that's what we mean by identity politics and privilege for them. right and so 
there's a lot of the principles like that that you know I agree and fully appreciate as far as when they're described or when in definition or in theory whatever whatever you have it like with intersectionalism it's hard or impossible to say that if african americans on average suffer a certain more barriers than the average american and if gay individuals on average suffer more barriers or have to overcome more barriers than the average individual it makes sense that a gay african american would therefore compound that and so that is absolutely a legitimate concern and something that's worthy of of you know serious consideration what happens is on uh, particularly on social media on the internet there's a lot of people who identify as intersectional that much of their worldview and much of their actions split way off from what you would think that or what would be the logical logical reaction to those principles basically i'm referring to the people that are acting more based on tribe you know they they Wait, know so the doc hold on so they so they they vote based on tribe but they're still um but they're still uh, not fitting the mold is what you're saying no i'm i'm not even referring necessarily to voting i'm simply talking about principles that okay. that a lot of people have on the left and again just the bare principles that even that i would agree with mm-hmm. many of those on the left take these principles and go to extreme extreme lengths with them or even half the time it's not even about principles for the same reason that a lot of trump voters will cite a talking point the whole point of it is just to be a a tribal a tribal comeback or a tribal own you statement if yeah. that principle ever became inv- inconvenient for argument they'd flip-flop on it so the principle doesn't really matter and so exactly. while i think that is probably the largest portion of the trump section i also think that that is the people who it's about tribe is also probably one of one of if not the largest sections on the left as well mm-hmm. yeah Totally. I mean, it's for the, for example, it's like climate change. Most left wingers and right wingers don't the, know the nuances of climate change. They don't know what albedo is. They don't know what, you know, they haven't compared the data from the UK Met Office. They haven't compared the data from the J- uh, Japanese, uh, I can't remember, Meteorological Society. They don't know any of the data. They just know what the tribe's official position is. And so they all just, you know, the left and right chant a mantra. Now, the people on the left, by accident, are on the correct side. Glo- climate, global, anthropogenic climate change is real, and it deserves to be addressed. But it's not that the majority of the people fighting for that actually understand it much better than the left-wingers they're fighting against. And so, to me, it's the same thing with almost every issue, whether it's whether it's intersectionalism, whether it's race, whether it's Trumpism, etc., um, yeah. And, um, w- with, with regards to things like climate change, I, y- you're right that on average, um, to, uh, c- controlled for the fact that leftists and, co- and just simply have more people and people who accept climate change are the, gr- the greater majority. So the sample size isn't the same, but even, even right. so, yes, you're, you're right. The average leftist or the average climate change accepting person, um, doesn't ex- understand it more than the people who deny it. But, the people who accept it do not accept it because it's the leftist position as much as they accept it because it's a scientist position. That's the difference. To some degree, but pretty quickly, er, there's multiple areas where you find that the left... Oh, the let me left, guess. You're going to say typical, nuclear energy. Oh, yeah. Well, nuclear energy. But Sorry, I didn't mean to sound... <laughs> correct your pronunciation or anything. That was a little pedantic, but you just... It, Reminds me of George Bush when he says nuclear the wrong well, way. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, what else? Uh, GMOs. Um, I would say anti-vax, but that's a large portion of both the left and the right. Unfortunately, um, yeah. But that also is still an example of a large portion of the left that rejects science, kind of okay. going against the universal respect for science. Okay, fair enough. 
So there are multiple examples. Okay. Now to your, um, now let me address, you know, the thing I read yesterday that you asked me to read about the ultra woke. Mm-hmm. I've said for a, for a long time, and this was especially true in the first one or two years of Trump being elected. You didn't know me back then, but I remember saying to my friends that I honestly believe that much of the SJW movement, kind of like just like turfs, mm-hmm. they're they're not real people, as in they're not people who um, actually believe it. People who are willing to put themselves on record, they're just online trolls, and they're very likely people from the opposite side trying to make you look bad and just debate people into being being angry right and i haven't actually run into hardly any turfs i've only heard about them <laughs> or oh okay for the same thing of incels i haven't actually run into many if any incels it's just you know out there as a people that supposedly exist that you've never really run into okay fair enough yeah i i can give i can definitely give you you know examples of turfs if you want to see some but um um yeah, incels I, I, I stay away from, but I definitely believe they exist. Now pretty much have to go to 4chan or all these really like Yeah, totally. Exactly. Strange or seedy places to actually run into them. Yeah. But when you think about um Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> it's okay. Uh these uh, exceptional boogeymen don't know if they exist. Uh, oh yeah. What I was getting at was up until maybe two thousand eighteen, I used to believe that Okay, these extremists, like these SJWs, they're not real people. Nobody actually believes that. They're just trying to discredit us. Mm-hmm. But maybe around 2018, I started to see, yeah, there really, there literally is somebody in everything. Granted, they're very rare, mm-hmm. but there probably is somebody that believes anything and everything. But they're so few that they could be fake. They could be real, but they're so few. But people like to blow it up and find the worst examples and say, haha, this is what you believe. Right. Absolutely. Every right winger in a meme attacking SJWs, they have the same purple haired girl with glasses screaming in every yeah, single I, meme. Every time they yeah, every time, you know, Greg or, or, or Kevin or Will post something like that, and I just say, and I'm supposed to I'm supposed to care what this person thinks. Why? They're, cause cause they're a party leader or they're my president or what? Uh, I mean, you, you, you find somebody in, in a dark corner of the internet to laugh at us. I got somebody who's in office speaking to international mm-hmm. press television, yeah. talking like an idiot. I, I mean, the Saying um, completely incoherent, hateful, yeah. stupid, demagogic things. So I kind of went along the same way. I initially thought that people were exaggerating the amount of quote unquote SJWs or the ultra far, far left, whatever you'd like to call these people, or even people that genuinely think communism or Soviet communism's not so bad or that the Soviets weren't doing things too terribly. Thank I you. thought that was, yeah, I thought that that was basically non-existent outside of 4chan and areas like that too. Except over the last few years, I have literally run into multiple people that aren't just on the internet that are people I interact with and people I have interacted with and people that go to my university, despite my university being in a very conservative part of Texas, there's, I'm still running into these people in noticeable numbers. And so I, after a while came to realize that it's not a non, it's not a negligible amount of people who fit into this crazy quote unquote SJW category. Like there's actually a decent amount of them. And that's part of the reason why I criticize that movement more often than I did online. Of course, the people from that movement that run into my criticisms immediately assume I'm a right winger, despite the fact that I am still on the left and I attack Trump and I Trump right or attack right wingers still on average more than I do SJWs in the far left. Yeah, totally. Again, the word SJW has kind of fallen out of is as common as it was a few years ago. Now it's woke. Uh, I don't really care what word anyone yeah, but, uses. But, I woke just... is, but woke is what they call themselves. SJW is what opponents call them. Right, right. Well, of course, now the opponents also call them woke. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, my whole point is that, that, that say, again, five years ago, six years ago even, let's say, I wasn't a huge fan of Sam Harris. I watched that 
that. I was the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that thing with him and, and, and Ben Affleck. And I was like, yeah, Ben Affleck, you go. And then the more I matured as a human being and learned about other things and challenged my worldviews and all that other sort of stuff, the more I'm like, I don't actually think, think what Ben Affleck was implying Sam Harris was meaning was what Sam Harris meant. And so for this, in the same way that I used to be very much considered myself a Christian, I thought the Bible was perfect and I, you know, had little, if any doubt. And if anyone questioned it, I would have responded pretty vigorously. I, because I eventually I got to the point where I thought if I am right, then, then examining my beliefs critically under good amounts of scrutiny should allow me to come out on the other end even stronger. Well, I did that and I basically left religion. And so kind of in a similar way, I thought that these SJWs and far leftists weren't really a thing or they weren't really as extreme as people indicated or all this other sort of stuff. And so I, I balked at people like Sam Harris and I balked at anyone who warned me or tried to tell me that there was some, you know, complaint about SJWs and especially after probably within the last two years running into these, these people a lot more, I completely reversed my position. Like they are not, like I said, a negligible part of the overall left movement. I was, I'm on regular basis, uh, blown away by the fact that there's so many genuine Soviet and Stalin apologists. Yeah. And apologists for Mao Zedong. And just like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like they, they, they have entire Facebook groups. One of the people that I know in Amarillo and invited me to a Facebook group that turned out to be nothing but apologist stuff for the Soviets and for the Chinese communist party. And, all this and in the membership of this group i i went down the list i noticed like a dozen or so people from my university that i've met wow you know um are you familiar with um jason uh unruhe unruhe or i i think that's his last name yeah um well his channel is called maoist rebel news maoist rebel news <laughs> probably not okay. no i, I anyway, don't i've yeah, never heard of probably him. yeah he's probably the youtube's one of one of the biggest YouTube tankies and he, he wears a, a Maoist armband and he's always talking <laughs> about how, how great China is. I used to think, yeah, I said, like, he's, he's joking, right? But he's a very well-read guy. So, um, unfortunately he's serious. And like, like Trumpers, you know, people like him, their defense is basically, well, somebody's worse. Yeah. When you hear North Koreans defend their government, uh, I'm talking about North Koreans outside of, outside of North Korea, obviously. Right. They'll they'll always say, "Well, Americans, you're no better. How can you criticize us? Or China, you're no better. How can you criticize us?" That's always their defense. Yeah, it's been a common defense throughout history, just for for various things. I mean, um, man, I'm trying to think of the example, but it was one of those one of those authoritarian countries that America criticizes, and they're like, "Well, oh, I think it may have been Russia. I think." I think uh there was criticism coming out because Russia's cracking down and treating the LGBT community like crap and they they were getting criticized about it by Americans and Russia's like well look at how you're treating black people and it, it's just interesting how I'm like or how about we look at how both people are treating both groups but yeah so moving along okay. um was there anything you particularly disagreed with in my argument in the article that I had given you? No, we haven't I think, already discussed. No, I, I think you're generally right, which is um, one, you know, be wary of people who are dogmatic Two, I, I think this is something that, you know, despite, you know, all my years changing back and forth, something I always appreciated about Michael Shermer is that he always reminded people stick to principle. It's not yeah. about who, who was right. It's about sticking to the principle of being skeptical. I love and, Michael Shermer, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And I think the, um, and, and that's the funny thing, like Michael Shermer, as recent as like literally last year, still said the old cliche, you know, conservative talking point that was so embarrassing that somebody believes it in 2020. But as soon as he was, he was corrected, he, 
he apologized and corrected himself. He he said, well, Nazis had socialists in their name. That means they're socialists. And I thought, right. dude, how could you be how could you be a professor and not know this? Like he he knows a lo- enough about history. He studied um, you know, the Holocaust. He wrote a book about Holocaust deniers. How could he not know this? Yeah. And the re- the reason he didn't know this or he didn't believe it or he was comfortable saying it was because he is biased. He's as much as he criticized Ayn Rand for being a cult, he was still a libertarian. Like he admitted that um although he voted for John Kerry in 2004, he admitted that um most of his scientists and skeptic friends are are leftists and he's the only, you know, kind of pro-capitalist kind of person. So in this light, he's very more likely to to uh, suck up that argument that well, you know, since they're less libertarian than I am, then it's okay to call them, you know, statists or socialists. If that's your only measure, sure, you got that point. But that's a whole different thing to say they're leftists or socialists. Um, but point being, he corrected himself, and so John Stossel, I used to admire because I used to think of him as somebody who really had no sacred cows. But I guess during Trump years, um. SJWs just made it so easy to make fun of them that all he had to do was say SJWs are funny to make fun of. And it sounds like he's defending Trump. Right. Yeah. Well, and some of that, cause, cause that sort of thing annoys me too, because at that point you're just stirring the pot. Like if, yeah. if your statements about them aren't largely, li- you literally criticizing them. If you're just getting your jollies off by, by attacking them, th- then that's completely different. Um, going back to Michael Shermer, another example of exactly what you were just talking about him doing that is he's written an article for his magazine. I think it's Skeptic Magazine or something like that, where he talks about how vigorously he didn't accept climate change for the longest time. And then after a certain point, he could not deny it, that he was confronted with the data and he said, OK, I'm now quite convinced about it. and that's all there is to it. I can't say that it's not true anymore. And now he acknowledges and, and talks about, you know, climate change the way any other uh, person would. And so, yeah, I know what you're talking about with some of his stuff because I follow him on Twitter and I can't remember what it was, but a couple of times over the year, he'll say something. I'm like, that's kind of crazy. And it's amazing to hear so many good arguments and, you know, reasonable things come from you. And then to hear you say something like that from time to time, but as long as you're not looking at his body of work, his entire thing in, in bad faith, as long as you're not cherry picking, as long as you're not looking to label him a God or label him a devil, you can look at his overall stuff and say, yeah, in general, he's still pretty reasonable. And some of the occasional crazy statements aren't worth completely dismissing him about my, one of my first experiences with him was reading his book, the moral arc. And that is where I, one of the, where I learned that huge amounts of the left and the right absolutely knee jerk and reel back when you tell them that on average, we're better off now than we were 10 years ago. And on average, those people were better off than the people 10 years before that and so on and so forth. And people on the left and right hate that, are you, (laughs) that, those facts. Okay. Well, uh, see, I, I, I'm not sure that's true, and I and I, I hate to disagree, but seriously, I used to be one of those people. Like before Trump, I used to be very I, – I was kind of – I'm not either party because I used to be a libertarian. But before Trump, I remember being mad at both sides because I remember hearing both sides being nostalgic. Like Michael Moore would not stop telling us how easy life was when his you know working class dad was able to – give them vacations and, and buy a house and all that. And I remember really hating people, people say that. And I remember hearing liberals say that. And I, I, at the time I didn't know how to, how to tell people you're actually, you know, nostalgia, you, you're actually romanticizing the past or you're, or you're thinking about the past that only people like you had and people of color and women or gay people did not have. So, um, my point is that, um, I think, Left, left-leaning people are in fact half and half on um, life was better in the past versus life was worse in the past. Because I think if you look at it from a um, white privilege standpoint, or people cr- critical of white privilege, then you have to accept that, like, um, for minorities, 
it is more it is more equal now. As right. bad as it is now, it is still better than forty or fifty or hundred years ago. Um, white people, whether liberal or or conservative, both have a reason to believe because it's little pain on their back uh, back or shoulder. I don't forgot the terminology uh, to say uh, life was kind of better because sure, whether you were poor or right, rich, they at least have a as long. Sli- they have somewhat of an argument that they could make. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But again that the argument would still have to be very specific and only about very specific things. And so I completely agree with that. I don't think we disagreed. Maybe I misworded. Yeah, or uh, I agree. I completely, I com- yeah. My only, my only point to you was that I think leftists, because now we're more educated about white privilege and uh, inequality in the past will at least par- half of them will agree that life is better now. Right. I, I would probably agree. We could always, you know, argue about the exact percentage. I would point out, though, that I don't think that the, you know, quote unquote, ultra woke would uniformly acknowledge it, whereas the other people don't. I think even half of their party still act like there's basically been no progress within within civil rights and and whatnot in the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. Okay, so I think I think that's a that's a very important question. I think posing this question will actually quickly get you to see if the pe- the person you're talking to actually has a position or they're just trolling. So if you met a person and they said life is worse today, okay, not better. So they could mean worse or they could mean not changed. Find out what that is first. If they say worse, I really want to know what they're saying, which is um, when was that better time? When was America you know, greater or better? Uh, I want to know. Whatever it is you believe, if you actually believe it, I want to know what it is you're pointing to. Right. So if you don't have an answer, I know you're trolling. Right. And so there probably are trolls that way. I don't think the people that I have in mind uh, are trolling. They basically and and the whole point or the whole observation that people eulogize the past and are very short sighted is a very consistent cognitive thing. or It's a very consistent finding in cognitive psychology. And so because most of these woke people Actually, most of them are fairly young. And so basically they're going on. Well, look at all the black people shot in the last five years. This must mean that things are worse today than they have been in the past. And they don't zoom out of the picture to see how many more black people were shot in the past, particularly in the 60s and during civil rights. Like it, it, mm-hmm. people are very short sighted and it is it seems to be a very common no matter what political party you are, no matter what part of the spectrum you're at, it seems very, very consistent, mm-hmm. proclive, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. People yeah. love to eulogize the past whenever they remember the past, the, the painful, they, the painful memories are weak. Uh, part of it's probably self-serving because if they're in bad situation today, they want to, they want to bl- blame it on something in the past or, or, you yeah, know, totally. something like that. And this may, you know, this is amplified and probably not, obviously not created, but this is amplified by our, our meme culture and our addicted, our addiction to small sound bites. Like when somebody can give you two pictures and juxtapose them and you don't think critically, okay, this is taken out of context, then of course you're going to very easily make comparisons that shouldn't be made. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. People, 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 people love say, bringing up this fact and, and I'm sure it's probably true if you look at look at the right place that uh, people today work more hours than medieval peasants yeah so what i i don't know if that would actually be an accurate statistic <laughs> but even if it was true so what yeah i mean I, I i this this is why you know if you if you don't have context it doesn't really matter if you this is this reminds me of when a multi-level marketer tried to sell me on something he says you have to work for your time i make money while i sleep and i said uh what do you trade for your time that's kind of a rhetorical question. But what I really was trying to say was, okay, you may make money while you sleep. You may sleep eight hours and make a cent or a dollar, maybe a hundred dollars. But because I trade eight hours for my time, I have $500. So uh, are you really going to say you have more money than me? No. But um, if you don't have context, you don't have actual numbers, you could be fooled by anything. Right. Absolutely. Well, and back in my more tribal day, tribal political days, you know, again, like five, six, seven, eight, Nine years ago, following the other 98%, following being liberal, following the daily costs, 
following all the all the standards for the for the lift they paint such a simplistic oh can you hear me now can you hear me are you there damn it i can hear you a little bit but i can hear you to some degree okay let me okay keep talking i'll tell you what i didn't hear okay um anyway basically i was just saying that i was i i I agree about the meme situation, especially for people that are highly tribal and particularly for people that are low information that don't realize they're low information, which is actually probably the majority of both the left and the right. The, they think that these, these memes they're seeing as, you know, from the perspective of the left person from the other 98% from being liberal, they think, yeah, that's right. That's all. And, and whatever nuance there might be isn't important enough for me to actually know. And so I'm justified in just going by this little soundbite thing. And again, they're doing the exact same thing to an equal level on, on the right. And this meme culture is just, just exacerbating this natural or seemingly natural tendency to oversimplify everything. Um, getting back to again, whether or not now is better than any time before. Uh, it's not even just Michael Shermer who made the argument. It's Steven Pinker, an extremely well-respected cognitive psychologist, extremely well-respected. He wrote the book, The Better Angels of uh, The Better Angels of Our Nature, which I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing. I've read part of it, but it's one of the thousands of books on my stack that I'm trying to get through. He made the he makes the same argument, and so for the people that that want to pretend like now is always the worst time. Uh, this is very common as far as right wingers go in the people who, who think that now is the end times. It's always the end times to them. The world is so fallen. Well, but you have to understand, <laughs> but you have to understand right wingers do have good reason to believe that now is worse because if you're a person of privilege and people are becoming more equal, why wouldn't you feel like it's getting worse for you? They don't have a good, they only, they have ex- they have cherry picked instances where that might slightly be the case, but in most of the instances, it's not a matter of their part of the pie getting smaller. It's a matter of the entire pie having got bigger, and there is just not having increased as much as everyone else's. They're still in most categories better off than they were thirty years ago. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. So I mean, think of the average poor white person. 30 or 40 years ago, how hard were they better off then? Or is the poorest white person better off now? Uh, yes, but the person you're talking to isn't a average poor white person. He's an average, not poor white person. Then shouldn't he be angry that it's less likely that he could be a rich white person than it was, you know, 20 or 30 years ago? Um, I don't necessarily... It depends maybe. how you, how, yeah, maybe it depends how yeah, you maybe. define rich person. It defines how you, depends how you define better off. For example. Okay. Let me, let me, let me use this example. Using Michael Moore's story. Um, when I was a non-poor white person growing up, my dad could work a blue collar job, support a family, and we could have regular vacations today. I can't do that. So do I not have a good reason to believe that capitalism is fucking me over? Right. So, and left people on the left would. Well, I mean, he is on the left. So, uh, the, the example, of course, is that education and healthcare and a few other things have gone well above inflation. And so it is, ex- those, those things are extremely expensive. And while that's a legitimate concern and while that's absolutely something to think about, you're up until literally two years ago, life expectancy still was pretty much on a constant, uh, like, like just the, let's focus on the healthcare thing. Healthcare is mm-hmm. ultra expensive, all that sort of stuff. And yet up until the last two years, life expectancy has still increased despite the fact that 95% that in other words, 95% of the time, you know, that's an arbitrary number, maybe 97. I don't know. <laughs> Most of the time that the, that healthcare has become more expensive. We've still increased our our life expectancy. And this is also happening concurrently with our eating habits, not getting any better. Mm-hmm. And so we're still getting the medical care better than we did 30 years ago. 
Again, that's not to say that we don't need to overhaul the system. We absolutely do. I'm in favor of universal health care. Everybody knows that. Everyone knows that I think we should make significant improvements. In okay, so I think I, I think you answered my question, even if you didn't intend to answer it this way. And I think this is very important, which is when you're looking at things through the lens or blinders of white privilege, the things you're complaining about are always monetary. Or uh, I don't want to say minor or superficial, but they're always smaller things than being shot. They're smaller things than being systematically denied a house. So from using Michael Moore's uh, or or the, the example of somebody who can't, you know, gu- you know, buy a house on a on a blue collar blue collar job, what really is happening is what he's saying is I can't afford it. But if you ask everything else, yes, I'm better off. I just I'm just complaining that the house I wanted isn't as cheap as it used to be. And that's my problem. Right. Right, right. Completely agree. So you're, what you're saying is Michael Moore is exhibiting or is showing his white privilege, so to speak. Yeah, totally. And I, and I think now, now that I see exactly what you're saying, which is when people complain about the things that they, they have good reason to complain about, they really are zeroing in on the, on the few things that they want to complain about, ignoring the dozens of things that they're way better off on. I, I totally agree now. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I'm glad you synthesized what I was trying to say that way. <laughs> Sometimes I go off on a rant yeah, or a tangent and I even am not organizing my point in the most understandable way. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and of course, you know, uh, you know this. I think everybody who hears this can understand. What if that's the only things I care about? What if that's just my life's mission? Like if you were a Chris, if you were a person working in a religious institution, the only thing you care about is being saved. So yeah, if, that's the only thing that's being disrupted. Of course, you're going to think your whole world's being being messed up. Nobody cares if you, um, you know, eat better or live longer or have happier um, children or or live in a bigger house. If all you care about is being saved, then yeah, that's the only thing you're going to complain about. Right. Which, ironically, uh, a lot of the the Christians, the white Christians, white conservative Christians specifically, are complaining that they're they're probably they they probably think their religious freedoms are being impinged on now than they were 50 years ago when that's absolutely not the case they're simply not being allowed to impinge on other people's freedoms using that religion they still have every bit as much religious freedom as they had 50 years ago yeah and they're not thinking about uh, i mean this is this is again you know it varies by country but yeah today you can fly or virtually contact anywhere people allow you to fly and people who have internet and you can preach those countries and you couldn't do that 50 or 100 years ago because of economics but you know at the same time i'm sure there are countries today whether in the middle east or asia that are more hostile to preachers or people so it varies by country right you can well, there was pick whatever you want that example of i can't remember if it was sri lanka or some island off off the coast of india uh people aren't supposed to go there basically there's a ban on outsiders going there because they're afraid of the tribe's culture being wiped out or something to that effect some some evangelist missionary christian missionary went there regardless oh yeah uh, i know what you're talking about <laughs> and he got killed not saying that i think he, you know that i'm happy he got killed i'm not happy anyone gets killed but <laughs> just a little tidbit about, yeah. on the topic that you were talking about yeah and and so in other words no matter what way you look at it you you have to be really cherry picking things and you have to be looking at things really zoomed in and and narrow mindedly in order to think that things are worse now than they were 10 years ago and you know so on for the 10 years before that and before that and before that and so this is just looking at a i would say just looking at america this trend is strong and holds true but if you zoom all the way out and you're looking at the world if you're looking at the world violent crime rate if you're looking at the world Rape rate, murder rate, poverty rate, access to healthcare, access to clean water, women's rights. It is an even starker improvement than it was, you know, 50 years ago. It is, we have made a huge amounts of progress overall in the world. Much of this progress being made in Africa. Yeah. Of, of course, there's places um, where, uh, they've hit road bumps, like in Uganda, again, where, missionaries have gone there and taught them to hate gay people extra and so now gay are getting murdered and whatnot there but um are you familiar with uh, gravel institute the gravel institute no okay not well, off the top of my Gravelle head is? anyway not oh, off he, the top of my a, head okay yeah he's a he's a presidential candidate 
a Democrat. And long story short, he made a YouTube channel to counter PragerU. And one oh. of the videos they had was what's the name of this channel? A Gravel Institute. I think it's spelled just like gravel. Oh, okay. That's why I didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah, I have I have heard of the gravel. I thought I thought it was pronounced gravel. Uh, it's probably gravel, but yeah, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't wrong. seen a lot about it. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot about it. I only re- I saw maybe one tweet a week ago mentioning that or someone's basically the tweet said that the gra- gravel or gravel institute is just as bad as the prager u or just as bad as prager u in the opposite direction i haven't looked into it to verify i haven't watched any of the gravel gravel institute's videos but sorry i didn't mean go ahead okay yeah i i would love you know when you have a chance watch some and see if they're you know more fair but one thing i took away last week was i think it was richard wolf he made a he made a video and he says when people say capitalism has lifted people out of poverty, there's two things wrong with that argument. One is that they measure extreme poverty by an arbitrary number, something like $2 a day, as opposed to $8 a day, which is probably what you actually need to survive. He says that's a poor number to, to begin with. Fine. But secondly, if you count the number of people that supposedly was lifted out of poverty through capitalism or technology, most of it actually came from China. Right. You mean yeah. in the last... So, in the last 30, 40, 50 years, China's loosening exactly. up of the, of the command economy approach. They've, they've drifted slightly more towards a market economy and it's improved their, their, their standard of living based on that. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the argument. I don't know if that's the exact cause, but I think Wolf's argument was that it, it, most of it happened in China and that's a mix of both government action and capitalism and technology and, and so you can't just say it's capitalism when right, right. Absolutely. it's happening in, in right well unbiased america's in, made the same or or what's the other one being classical liberal they used to make comments like that all the time basically worshiping the god of capitalism as the single most important innovation in history of mankind like completely deifying it and so i am personally the blatant like completely hate capitalism approach that a lot of the far left takes i think is stupid i think it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. but at the same time deifying capitalism is is equally stupid again i like andrew yang's approach the best that i've heard of i like his human-centered capitalism making capitalism work for us for us rather than just letting it run loose uh and allowing unnecessarily problems to continue or to arise. I mean, you, you're a, you like Andrew Yang too, right? I think. Yeah. So how do you feel about his, his human centered capitalism approach? Um, I think it's easier to sell than my criticism of capitalism. I'm much more hostile towards capitalism. I'm more willing to tax wealth. I'm more willing to tax vacant homes. I'm more willing to, um, I'm more inclined to say stop protecting property that's hoarded, but I, I understand that's not going to sell to most people. I'm okay with incrementalism, and I think he's more he's more um, big leap than most incrementalists. So uh, I think he's a step in the right direction. Now I'm willing to admit that um, universal basic income is not how do I say it? It's not well, it's it's basically a bandage slash life support. It is really admitting that capitalism is on its last last stage or last link that um capitalism can't keep accelerating the way it does because it's not sustainable um so yes if we're going to have any capitalism at all better be human-centered than not human-centered right and so um there's a couple of things i would say is that as far as taxing the wealthy i don't think i don't think that andrew yang is is philosophically any more against taxing the wealthy than you are his point is that when looking at the attempts that have been made in the past and in other countries to tax the wealthy, it's almost, it's, it's like a losing game. Every time you plug a hole in the bottom of the ship, another one springs. And so his argument is that practical in practicality, adding a VAT tax and adding a universal basic income is the better, is the more practical, practicable approach, at least with society as evolved or unevolved as it currently is, so to speak. And then, as far as I, and I think he's oh, right for America. Yeah, I think for Americans, the consumer culture that we have, 
yes, a consumer tax or, or a purchasing tax would be a more viable and easier to implement option than than other forms, unfortunately. But ultimately, you know, to make bigger leaps, we will have to do a bit more like taxing um, accumulated wealth and taxing empty houses and taxing offshore assets or, or things like that. Right. And I don't know if I don't think that I don't know if Andrew Ying's actually voiced opinions of whether he opposes uh, taxing vacancy or or not. I don't know what his. his uh, I, yeah, I'm I don't pretty, think he's spoken on that, but I think he has. Uh, I'm pretty studied I, on my on my Andrew Yang. So, <laughs> yeah, I, but I I do think he has specifically opposed wealth tax. Though. Right. Again, like I said, in not in philosophy, but in practicality. I, I understand. And. It's not even just the the United States. He, he's alluded to the quote unquote socialist, but not really socialist countries like Denmark and Sweden and and Norway, how they've attempted to uh, tax wealth and it didn't work the way they wanted to. And a vax, vax tax turned out to work better. But I wanted to mention your I don't think UBI is a bandaid at all. I don't think it is a sign that capitalism is a failure i think that ubi is actually repeal like for example i think that raising minimum wage is a band-aid that is going to have to be reapplied and changed every few years i think that ubi is a much much more broad efficient and encompassing solution than than the, uh than that and i think it's only basically the interpretation that it is signing the the it's the death knell of of capitalism is only if you're considering anarcho-capitalism i don't think that and and again this gets into what you define as capitalism i I generally take a more broad definition including including market economy free as possible uh existence of a stock market and, and investment options without top down absolute authoritarian control. And so there's tons of ways that you can implement that in publicly beneficial ways that doesn't, that recognizing that anarcho-capitalism is garbage doesn't mean that capitalism in general is garbage. It just means that you can't take a one-dimensional approach. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And so, again, a lot of this has to do with addressing things with people as they are. It'd be wonderful if, you know, we could uh, go to the, we could be like Star Trek, a moneyless society where everyone just works because it's work is fulfilling and everyone does the right thing. And not necessarily that everyone does the right thing, but they do it in a high enough proportion that society doesn't fall apart without money and all these other incentives. I would love that, that if, if, but I'm focused on addressing things of how we can improve improve things with people as they are now which is one of the reasons that i think that that attempts at communism and all these things have failed so miserably because they attempt to uh, forcefully impose a system on people that their their collective psychologies and sociologies are not compatible with or ready for and so basically the incrementalist approach is still trying to get there but not but in a way that's that's not going to be outright rejected and cause cause a a backsliding in the other direction totally yeah risk a backsliding in the other but i digress (laughs) (laughs) anything else that you wanted to get off your chest uh no just keep daring your republican friends to dump their stocks (laughs) yeah oh yeah i've run into the same thing where where they keep predicting it's been happening repeatedly over the last month. It's kind of like doomsday cults. They predict something's going to happen by this date. And after nothing happens, it doesn't phase them. They just predict a new date and they, and rather than lose confidence that they're good at predicting, they just, <laughs> they gained more confidence and that like the, what's her name? Powell. They were, when she talked about the crack and I saw so many people on the, on right wing social <laughs> media saying, yeah, you just wait until the, when, when, Sydney Powell and re- unleashes the Kraken. It's things are going down, and then nothing happens. She's a discredited moron that actually never had much credit in the first place. Um, then they moved it multiple times, and then it was the you just wait until until January sixth. Trump's going to refuse to to you know certify. certify the 
electoral college and even the electoral college people are going to refuse to you know there's it's just always something always a prediction and it's failed every time and i'm and uh, half the time i'm commenting to them the same thing that basically you just said i'm like hey do you know of any good uh online betting arbiter who will take both of our money and dole it out to the winner because i i am happy to take your money because you're gonna lose <laughs> well kyle it was great having you on and uh it was an enlightening conversation as usual and i appreciate it and look forward to the next time see you next time Thank you.